I just, I want to pray. I want to ask the Lord to be on this time real quick, and then we'll, we'll go for it, okay? Uh, Lord Jesus, we look to you. You alone are our hope. Uh, nothing, nothing I say matters uh, if it's not for you, God. And so I pray tonight that hearts would be open, that eyes would be open, that you would tenderize hearts, that, God, you would save people tonight, you would heal people tonight, and you would work in power. We want to be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus tonight. So God, come and strengthen us, and I pray that you would give me the words to speak for your good and your glory among us. In Christ's name, amen. So five years ago, um, I hit a wall. I might, you might say I hit a bottom, a very, very dark and scary bottom. Uh, I was working at a church at the time, and I'd helped start the church 18 years prior, and for eight years, uh, I'd been on staff at that church now. And all the years before, I'd been volunteering, and I'd poured my heart and soul into this work and into the church and the people of that place. That really was my family. Uh, it was a great work that I loved, and I, I still look back, and it was such a good work that I loved being a part of. But in the two to three years leading up to that very dark bottom, um, the culture of the environment had been changing and very important relationships that meant so much to me, that were so significant in my life, had been shifting. Um, some of the most important people in relationships really became surrounded in conflict. And this external conflict that was happening in these important relationships, it began to stir up an internal conflict, an angst, a pain, an unsettledness, a throbbing. You know what I mean? You ever felt that? That throbbing kind of pain that I could not make sense of. Now, on the outside, I would say uh, everything looked great. I had, I still have, an amazing wife. Um, I have two amazing kids. I got a couple of dogs. I was in good health. Some of the people liked me at the church. Uh, I mean, it was, it was great. Like, on the outside, it was looking good. Um, yet, with all of that, because of the conflict and pain I was experiencing in these relationships, internally, I was literally coming apart at the seams. I felt like I was drowning. I couldn't breathe. I felt like I was dying inside until one night I broke. Um, I told my boss the day before that I, that I needed to resign, that I, I couldn't do it anymore. But I said to give me one more day to pray about it. I came home and I told Summer. Um, and that night I spent all night. I didn't plan to. I wanted to sleep, but I couldn't. But I spent all night praying and seeking the Lord and crying I remember taking my daughter to gymnastics that night, and I still remember walking on the lines in the concrete, and I remember looking up and, like, yelling at the sky. I, I just wanted help. And so I, I stayed up all night praying and asking and crying, and I felt like, you know, they say you wrestled with God. Honestly, I felt like I was wrestling with Satan um, all night long. It was the most miserable night of my life. And so Summer comes down at, Summer's my wife, she comes down at 6 o'clock where she finds me laying on the couch in the fetal position. My two kids are upstairs, and I'm wailing, and I'm shaking, and I'm sobbing. I'm done. Um, all I could say to her is, I don't need to quit. I said, babe, I need help. I'm not okay. I was at my inn. I, uh, I asked to have all the guns taken out of the home. And to get me help because I couldn't deal with the pain, the physical pain that my body was carrying anymore. Um, 
I remember looking at this passage that the Apostle, Apostle Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians, and I felt like I got a little bit of what he meant. He said, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. This is Paul talking. He said, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But, he says, do you remember what's next? That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You know, I didn't see it. I didn't feel it that night. That didn't make me feel any better. But God was about to use this conflict at work to do a redemption in me that's far bigger than anything I could ask or think of. You see, I was, um, I was raised in an abusive home. Physically, emotionally, where the, the conflict was the air we breathed. Like that was our normal. That's what the thermostat was set on. You follow me with that? Uh, my mom was an alcoholic. Uh, I didn't meet my dad until I was 12, and he was an alcoholic. I was raised in shame and abuse and manipulation and bullying and yelling and betrayal and abandonment. I was told, I remember this, um, I'll send you away if you don't behave. I will send you to military school. I was a 10-year-old kid, and um, I, so I, I was carrying so much broken with, brokenness with me. And as I learned, as Jeremy and Lauren even talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago, the home you're raised in, I didn't know, I, I knew my past was jacked up, right? I knew I had things, but I didn't know how much it mattered. And as they talked about a couple of weeks ago, the home you were raised in, for better or for worse, it gives you a framework, kind of a map for how you navigate relationships in the future. Think of it this way. Our past experiences create present-day maps for how we navigate the world around us. Lauren, you can just throw something at me if I'm wrong, okay? <laughs> right? We often don't. Here's the hard pain. We don't like, we're not carrying these maps around. We usually don't even acknowledge these maps exist. It's like the air we breathe, the water we swim in, and we don't even know what's, it's happening. You usually like, don't even see your maps, but they're there. And here's the thing. The less you're aware of them, the more influence they have over your life. Patterns that, don't, that you don't acknowledge, they control you. And patterns that you don't transform, you transfer them. You give them to your kids. You give them to the situations in front of you. You bring them to work with you. And you don't, like, I didn't know I was bringing this to work with me. I knew I had a bunch of stuff, but I'm a Jesus-loving man, and Jesus has redeemed me. I just didn't see the depth of these patterns that still lived on in me. And I, I think the idea with this series is really to interrupt the pattern. It's to interrupt whatever pattern we're used to dealing with in conflict and help us build new patterns, draw new maps that reflect the Father's heart. Patterns that reflect the upside-down kingdom that we live in, right? Where the first is last and the last is first, where meekness is power and power is servanthood, where saving your life is giving it away. Giving it away is actually saving it. Right? Where instead of honoring ourselves and humbling others, which we do in this culture, we want to honor others and humble ourselves. And so that's the upside down world of the kingdom we live in. But at the time, I can tell you, at the time on that dark night when I felt like everything was lost, all hope was lost, I thought I was going to be what my mom said I was going to be. 
you're going to grow up and be just like your dad, who's in jail, who's on drugs, who's in prison. You're going to grow up and be just like him. You see, I didn't see that when shift, shifts happen in the relationships in front of me, I didn't see that what my body and my mind were doing is saying, hey, there's something familiar happening right here. There's something, a distrust that you felt from the, there's something going on right here. So I wasn't just responding to the hurt in front of me. I was responding to the hurt behind me. So it's like I had doubled up emotions. Like I can be a little bit hurt by this situation right here, but there's also this huge glaring thing in the past that I'm equally responding to because it has not been fully redeemed by the grace of God. And so what I didn't know was that on that couch, and man, I can remember, I remember the song I was listening to. I remember it was raining outside that next day. I remember it. What I didn't know is that God was with me in the middle of that. He's right there. And he was going to use this conflict and this pain and this hurt to bring redemption and to heal me in ways that I could not have healed without it. You hear that? It's crazy for me to think back on that. I knew I had things in my life that I wanted God to heal. I knew anxiety owned me. But God was going to use this pain like a scalpel to go deeper than I would have ever gone on my own. Does that make sense? To shift where my trust was located to heal me in ways that I wouldn't have healed without it. So I know that some of you here tonight have broken relationships that you need healing in. And I'm I'm just going to testify. I'm just going to tell you that God is going to bring that healing to you if you just wait and trust him. Tonight, um, you know, and that that just reminds me. I remember one of the first times I came to Hope. um, One of the songs we sang, I don't remember what it's called, but... One of the lines was, he's in the waiting. I wanted to stop waiting. I'm ready for this pain to go. I'm ready to be done with it. And here I have to sing this song with charity that is telling me (laughs) that Chris, he's actually in the waiting. I mean, I prayed more in that time of my life than I ever have. How is he not there? He's right there in it. And so tonight, my hope is to be able to really talk about um, what I learned about myself and uh, how a counselor helped me and practices that I learned, four practices in particular, four kind of movements that God used as a means of his grace in my life to grow me, to transform me, and to redeem these things to where I could say, even though I despaired of life itself, God was actually doing something to me to change where I put my trust. And so I want to share those with you and hope that they will encourage you as well. Um, By the grace of God, I was connected with an amazing counselor. I'm so glad we have people like Jeremy and Lauren, and there's probably others in here who are counselors. Man, just say this for free. This isn't in my notes. Or If you wonder if you need a counselor, the answer is yes. You need a counselor. Go talk to somebody, okay? It's such a blessing. Right, Lauren? All right. She, she's like, yes, how I make my living. <laughs> Aaron's like, yes, do it. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Sorry, it's not really about that. All right, so um, I'll tell you this. I remember this. Summer remembers this. When I showed up, I showed up to the counselor, and I knew, I, met, I, I learned that the counselor had a book 
read, read, and so before I went, I got the book read like twice, highlighted it. Like that's me, right? Like I'm, I, I showed up to the counselor and I was in read, pray, work, fight, fight, fight more, read more, pray more, do it. And I remember one of those most mind-boggling things the counselor said to me was, Chris, the answer is not fight harder. You will not, this sticks with me through today, he said, you will not think your way out of this one. You know how you get monkey mind, you think you're a little crazy, and you think you're like nuts sometimes? Don't make me feel alone up here, right? <laughs> he told me, you will not think your way out of this, because this isn't a rational problem. It's a physiological issue. It's an emotional. You can't fix your emotions with your brain. You can't fix the way your body feels just with rational arguments. It doesn't work that way, right? Have you ever tried to talk your, like when you're all amped up and you're like, well, Chris, you should just calm down. It's fine. It doesn't work, right? So he told me this. He, his script for me, if you will, was, Chris, I want you to stop and be still and spend time with God. And to me, I'm like, dude, I got a Devo every day of my life. I always do that. He goes, no, stop reading your Bible. He's not telling me to stop reading my Bible completely, okay? He's just saying, don't read, don't talk, don't sing, just listen. The psalmist says, be still and know that I'm God. And I've read that verse a hundred times, but, you know, he, we talk, I've talked about this example before. There's a book on silence and solitude where she talks about picking up this jar of river water. And you can't, especially right now, you can't see through it because it's all stirred up. He said, but if you just sit it down and let it sit there for a while, what's going to happen? You can actually see into it. And he said, you're like all shaken up. You've got to be still and know that you are not God. You're not in control. You can't fix everything. He said, stop reading, stop talking. He actually put me on a schedule because he's like, what would you do today? I was like, I read a little. You know, I was just, <laughs> he was like, stop it. Like he gave me a schedule. You can read one day on, two days off. I mean, I just was so self-improvement. That's like, I just want to fix myself. I want to fix the pain. But, you know, Jeremy said this a couple of weeks ago. Maybe you remember it. He said, you can't do your best work when you're in a state of flight, fright, freeze, or fawn. Remember that? Like, we get in these states where we're either in fight mode, we're in freeze mode, we're in fawning, oh, I just want to be closer to you, or we're in, what's the other one? What? Flight, good. We're flying, good. When you're doing those, when you're in those stages, you can't do, be in your best work. And I personally, as I thought about this and I heard him say that, and I'm listening to these two talk about it, I'm like, man, how often are we in one of those modes and we don't even acknowledge it? Like, how often are we in fight, flight, freeze, fawn? And I think it shows up through constant scrolling. I think it shows up through binge-watching TV. I think it shows up through people-pleasing and a few drinks and a few pills. And it can show up in so much church stuff, my schedule is full. I'm telling you, you can church your way in busyness where you don't have any time to spend time with God. The problem is, you and I, I can't see what God is doing when I'm constantly spinning, when I'm constantly moving. 
And I couldn't see and I couldn't hear and I needed to be still. One of the verses that impacted me the most in that period was Isaiah 30, 15. Isaiah says, in, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. And quietness and trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling. The next verse, they, it says, they said, no, we will flee upon horses. We will run faster, harder, go, go, go. I mean, this verse, is this up here? It's like the opposite of everything I mean in life. <laughs> it's in repentance, turning back to the Lord, and rest, you shall be saved. For me, it was if you'll work harder, you'll be saved. This is saying if you'll rest, you'll be saved. In quietness, I talk a lot, okay? I will talk my way out of it. Summer, do I, right? Give me the nod. Yeah, she like, I will, like when I want to make my point, I'll say it like 17 times. You guys have probably already noticed that. But like, I want to talk more, but this is in quietness and not in working harder, not in moving more, but just, Chris, in trust. And if you'll be quiet, you'll get strong. And so for two months, I went and sat by the river day after day in little windows of time, and I practiced silence and solitude. I practiced sitting in the presence of God. It wasn't easy. I would get distracted. Sit by me in church if you don't believe it. Um, But I'll tell you this. Day after day, sitting, waiting, breathing, listening, I would oftentimes go sit there, and I'm, I'm like rewiring my brain. I'm saying the little phrase, you are safe with me, Chris. You are safe with me. You are safe. I'll tell you, it's by that river. I've been following the Lord for 15 years by this time. It's the first time I've ever heard the Lord say to me, Chris, you are my beloved son. And with you, I am well pleased. It's one thing to read about that. It's another thing to hear it. And I'm not like saying audibly. I don't know if it was audible. I don't know what you call it. I just know the God, my father, said, Chris, you are my beloved son. And with you, I am so pleased. So you don't have to go searching for love from everybody else. The second practice that really challenged me and my counselor helped me with was examine yourself with God. So first, I have to slow down and be still and stop. Second, I have to examine myself with God. Um, that's the hard thing about conflict, isn't it? James 4.1 says, What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your boss is rude? No, that is not what it says. Right? That your wife is like a dripping faucet. What's that verse? Don't do that. Anyway. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? In other words, when conflict occurs between you and another person, the problem you're really facing is not out there. That's why Josh, when he started this series off, he said something to the effect of, hey, we're going to talk about conflict, and we want to think about you. Think about you, not the person beside you, not the person out there. Your passions are at work in you. Often you're afraid of something. Conflict is almost always attached to fear. And so Paul says to the Corinthians, and I think this is so good, and this is what I, I didn't know I was doing this at the time, but he says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. I think another way of saying this would be, look at your life to see what story you're trusting in. Does that make sense? Look at your life. What story are you living in? 
Are you the victim? Are you the villain? What is the ending of the story that you're living in? What's the motives of the story? Like, examine yourself to see whether you're in your faith. Look at your life to see what story you're trusting in. You know, I think a lot of talk goes into mindset and emotional intelligence, and I think it's great. But I, I believe that there's mindset, and Jeff and I talked about this the other day, right? There's mindset, and then there's emotions. Jeff's a friend of mine. Hi, Jeff. Uh, mindset and emotions, and then underneath that, it's what you believe about yourself and about your God. And I think so often, if we try to, like, it's good. You need good, positive mindset, all that stuff. You, emotional regulation and emotional EQ and all that stuff. But if you leave the story underneath that, what you believe about yourself and about the God you love, it, you won't change. You'll continue to find yourself frustrated going back the exact same patterns because the narrative never changed. And I'll tell you the story I was living in, the story under the story that everybody saw was one of shame, scarcity, distrust, brokenness, abandonment, and hurt. Stay small or get hurt. Tell anyone, get hurt. I was living in an old, 40 years old, and I'm living in in a narrative that's 30 years old. An expired narrative using old maps that no longer reflected the life I had now. And here's the thing. You can't get to new places with old maps. You can't create a new and better future in Christ when you're stuck living in the old story. Um, You know, remember what Lauren and, and Jeremy talked about with attachment patterns? They were like speaking my love language. I'm like, this is so good. I love this. Um... About how your attachment patterns kind of give you a framework for how you attach to people, even people you don't like, right? Like, it's just, it's how you attach to anyone. And I had an anxious slash avoidant, some would call it ambivalent or disorganized, basically totally jacked up attachment pattern. And here's the good news. I was thinking about this. I was actually listening to um, a book the other day that talked about this a little bit. I was so encouraged by it that God wants to give you a secure attachment pattern. God wants to take, how many in this room would say, I have one of the not secure attachment patterns as my norm? Right? God wants to give you a secure attachment pattern that's grounded in him. To tell you the truth, for the last five years, I've been thinking, okay, God gave me Summer. She loves me. She's never going to leave me. Like, she's so good and all these things. And while God has used her to bring healing to my life, what I just last week started thinking about is, wait a second. God wants to be my attachment. God, like, Lauren, if we talked about it, I think, if I'm not mistaken, how do I create, like, basically, you should just come up here now. No, I'm just kidding. Don't. Stay seated. All right. So how do we create secure attachment patterns with our kids? We see them. We love them. We help them, like, regulate. We listen to them. We pay attention to their needs. Does God not do all of that better than anyone on earth? God wants to give every single one of us secure attachment patterns. He wants to heal the brokenness. And that changes how we relate with everyone else. And so he wants you to know that he sees you and you're safe in him. He wants to comfort you and provide all your needs so that you can live freely and fully into the world, come what may. And so I want to sit by the river.
in the presence of God, I literally was sitting there and like breathing into that. And God was rewiring me and changing my attachment patterns. And I would look at God and I would look back at me and I would look at God. I mean, think about it. If like, if Aaron is over here and like, I want to be like Aaron. So we're getting out in the crowd and all that stuff now. So I want to be like, I mean, who doesn't want to be like Aaron, right? So stand up real quick. You didn't know this was, I didn't know this was happening. We're just going with it. All right. So if I want to look like Aaron, right, what do I need to do? So I need to look at him. This is going to get awkward, but I need to look at him, but then I need to look back at me and see how I'm doing, right? Is that right? I need to look at him and I look back and I kind of forget. So I look at him and I look back. Is that not what examining yourself is never like navel gazing and being overly obsessed with yourself? Examining yourself in Christ is about you just keep looking up at God and back at yourself, up at God, back at yourself. And that's how you see the reflection you're intended to be to grow up. And so you know yourself as you know God and you know God as you know yourself. You can't do one without the other. So we read the word, we pray, we get alone with God, we spend time with God, we spend time with God's people. Uh, You guys don't even know this. Some of you weren't here five years ago, but you were such a gift for me to be able to come here and to have people just who your, your faith is saying that he's worth being trusted, and I needed to hear that. God was changing the story that I saw myself living in. And if you're going to change how you navigate conflict, how you navigate life, you can't just go to the mind. You can't just go to the emotions. You've got to go to the story. You've got to go to the narrative you're living in. Practice number three. I don't know if I started late. Did I start? We started a few minutes late. So we, I have about five minutes and two points. Okay. All right. So pra- practice three, act in the spirit by faith. So after this season of silence and solitude, I had two weeks to go before I was going to go back to work. So I was on sabbatical for a little while. Uh, I had two weeks to go before I was supposed to go back at work. And Summer and I and the kids were on our way back from Colorado. We're driving through Kansas when I remember sharing with Summer on the ride home something that I had been praying through that was totally out of left field. It had not been on the radar at all. I said, I think we need to be open to the possibility that God may not want me to go back. I never once thought of that when I started all this. Like when I started seeing a counselor and getting help, like that was never on the radar. This was crazy talk for me. I wanted to be a pastor the rest of my life. I said it no less than 50 times, probably in the past year, because I felt what was like grumbling underneath. And it's kind of like rocking and telling myself I'm going to be a pastor. You know, I I was trying to like talk myself into this. This isn't going to change. But when I finally shut up, and got alone with God in the quietness, my soul began to open up to the possibility of what I was fighting so hard for may not be what God wanted for my life. Summer was like, what? <laughs> Why? How? What happened? Are you on drugs? I mean, she, it was really one of those kind of conversations. So we began to have that conversation And really, I got to say, why did it take faith? It was so scary. This was my family. I'm asking, will I lose my church? Will I lose my friends? Will I lose my faith? I'm, I'm wondering, will this be what I look back on and go, I walked away from my faith? I was afraid of that. Will my kids be okay? Are they going to tell a story that originates back to this when they walked away from the faith? 
Would they grow up and hate the church because of that time? Would I be okay? Would my marriage be okay? I'm like born and raised to see that everything's going to fall apart and go to hell. That's the way I see the world. You ask me the question, Chris, what's the worst thing that happened, could happen? I'll tell you the worst thing that could happen. I got it figured out. Anybody else in the room like that? There's, wow, you people need help. All right. But I'll tell you what. It was scary, but being led by the true voice of God was the most invigorating thing I've ever experienced in my life. Something in me was coming alive in the presence of God. No longer was I asking God, what should I do? I shared this with Josh a couple of weeks ago. I stopped asking God, should I do it or not do it? I just said, God, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. So I'm just going to stay near you, and that's where we're going. It It was a slight shift, and we weren't sure much. But we were positive that this was the next step of faith for us. So that's the step that we took. I wonder for you just right now, think of that relationship, that person. What would it look like for you to take an upside down kingdom step of faith right now? What would it take for you to take a step maybe with a relationship that's broken? I mean, even tomorrow at work when you get into conflict with your boss, Aaron, and you have one of those... Just keeping you alive in here. Um, what does it look like to you respond in a totally countercultural, counterflesh way that is acting in faith? You know, I think sometimes we want it all to make sense first, but I think God wants us to step in the river first and then let him part it. That's a story from the Bible, you know. Um, you have to, like, put your weight. I taught a class recently. I didn't, like, dude, your table's about to break. I got on here. I'm like... You have to like, okay, that doesn't work. But you have to put, you have to like put your weight on it before you know it can actually hold you. You have to like, so that's why it's faith. Like I could get up here and stand on this thing right now and it probably would hold me. I'm, you know, whatever. We're not going to go there. But it's, but you have to step on it and put your feet on it. You have to lean on it. If you believe that uh, every good and gift, perfect gift comes from above, if you believe in Philippians that God says what he started in you, he'll finish in you, are you going to lean on that promise when it feels like I'm not going to make it? I better get to practice four. Um, practice number four. So first, I had to be still. Second, I had to look at my own heart with the Lord. And third, I had to step in faith. I had to actually act. I couldn't just say it. And number four is I had to release the outcomes to God. Two things happened after I resigned. First, my job. So I quit. I didn't have another job, didn't have anything worked out. Two weeks before I quit, I was writing an answer to a book I was reading called Courage and Calling. So good. One of the questions was, if you could do anything you wanted, and safety, security, money, none of that mattered, what would you do? I wrote, I would be a coach. I'd be a business coach. I would take my ministry into the marketplace. I started a job as a coach the day after I was done at the church. I'd never, I hadn't read a book on coaching. I didn't know what I was doing. And I walk into an office and they say, would you ever want to be a coach? I literally, I still have the journal entry on my phone. I said, let me show you something. God is faithful. And he's not a Christian man, but I told him God's faithful anyway. (laughs) Second, um, so I, I released that and I say, what a blessing that I released that. And God worked through that. And then second, um, 
my church. So when I resigned, I completely intended to stay at the church, but it wasn't long before we knew God wasn't only calling us to step down, but to step out, to leave our home and to go to a new place he would show us. I remember telling my kids about this. Summer and I set them down, and they, by this time, we had had a few hard conversations. We're like, oh, dang it. What are we going to talk about now? So like a family meeting, um, and we started talking about Abraham and Sarah going out, and um, there were tears. They were crying. We're crying. It's a mess. And um, I still don't understand everything that went wrong, to be honest. I don't have answers for a lot of stuff. And when my kids said why, I couldn't tell them everything. I don't, they weren't old enough to carry that weight. And I didn't even understand it all. But I knew where God was leading. And the only answer I could give my kids is this is where we're going and that's where we're going to go. And God will take care of us. And I can say for you, I'll end on this. Um, Joab, uh, he's the fighter of David, David's army, the commander of David's army, and he's got an army before him and behind him. And in 2 Samuel 10, 12, he, he, he says something that I think is so good. Will you put that verse up there? Um, he says, be of good courage. Are you going to put that verse up there? <laughs> Are you, like, waiting on me to do a drama moment here? Because it's gone. All right. Well, he says, 2 Samuel 10, 12, he says this. There's armies before him and behind him. He says, be of good courage and let us be courageous for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what seems good to him. Isn't that good? Let's be faithful. And let's just trust the Lord's going to do what's good to him. Last thing I'll say is this. is um, That was five years ago on January 1st. 2022, I had to call my doctor again because I'm on the couch shaking. I don't need to go back into all that. Um, I called Josh a few days before with struggling. I feel like I'm losing my faith. Just know that it's a process. It takes years for old patterns to be rewritten. Sometimes God can write them in a day. But oftentimes, it will take years. And I just want to encourage you, wherever you're at today, he will be faithful. He will heal what you think can't be healed. If he can raise a dead man to life, he can fix your broken heart and your attachment patterns and those relationships that seem beyond reach. All right, I better shut up so other people can talk. Jesus, man. It's totally the grace of God. There's no excuse for it.
36? You're fired. And then we have Kinsey Batten. P. Diddy. Um, you know, there's, uh, I mentioned this when we were talking how when Nehemiah goes before the king and he's going to rebuild the wall, uh, the king said, what do you want? And it says before he answered, he said, so I prayed to the Lord and then I spoke. And so for me, like when I go into, there's a couple of people in my work that might trigger me. They, they, they create little things in me that make me feel my body and a little anxious. When I know I'm going into those, I'll try to take a pause before I go in. And be still and know that they're not God. I'm not God. He's God. So it's just like a little 30 second. Could be three seconds. Um, I think that, you know, Kinsey and I, we were talking about this a little bit ago. I think knowing my triggers, like knowing myself, allows me to better understand when something happens. Um, I can ten, I can feel it in my chest. I can feel it in my shoulders. So when I've gotten, as I've gotten familiar with my own little telltale signs, it's helped me not let my emotions rule. But I want to act according to my highest values and ambitions, uh, according to the King. And so that, and then um, I think, like just acting in faith means, you know what? Stop trying to control how your boss or your coworker or your employee is going to respond. You just got to be faithful to the Lord and trust that He's going to do that. Yeah. Um, and so that's like st- the third one. And then the fourth one is just, you just have to release the outcomes to God. Like, I know I love my job. It's a great job. I love it. And, but if I start trying to keep that, and that's my goal, right. Right. my focus gets off. I'm not there for that. I'm there to be faithful to the Lord and to bless. Like, this is my church now. These are my peeps. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so I can't control that. Let, let it go. Let it go. I think that goes in line with a lot of You that. felt that coming, too, didn't you? Right. Let it go. All right, go. Well, no, I think that goes a lot in line with what we've been try- we've been repeating over and over again through this whole series is you are a peacemaker. And what does that actually mean? And and one thing that we want to focus in on tonight is so much of our lives is is in the moment of in the workplace or in the marketplace or in these things. How do we and Kinsey, I'll give this to you, I think. Uh, how do we be peacemakers? In, in all the environments, like in our job, in our marketplace environments. Yeah. One thing that I would say is sometimes as a believer, a Christian, it can be easy to, or a person, easy to compartmentalize our lives. Um, and for that to be, I'm a different person at work than I am at home. I'm a different person as a mom than I am a wife. You know, yeah. I think it's easy sometimes to do that. But um, I think what this whole thing and being a peacemaker is calling us into is like, hey, we're going to be that in every single thing of our lives and it doesn't look different at work or home or um, any particular place that we spend our time 
Um, and so, but I think a lot of that is like, hey, you have to invite him in too. Like I have to take a minute and I have to be like, hey, Lord, this is actually my ministry. Like yeah. I'm spending majority of my time here. How will you use that? And so um, I think that's, that's one aspect of like, hey, let's not compartmentalize our lives. And it looks like humility. It looks like gentleness. It yes. looks like, you know, all of those things that we've talked through in this series. Yeah. It doesn't look different in work. Yeah. I guess. So good. I, and I, I think, and I want to get real practical too. I, I think of like, all right, I'm called to be a peacemaker. I'm called to carry peace into every situation. And that means conflict. What do you do in real time? Like in real time, you're in a meeting with your coworkers, your boss, your spouse, maybe that would never happen. Uh, like you're in real time. How do you, as a peacemaker, how do I keep a situation from escalating to a place of or even more conflict when you feel, right? You feel that little, I feel the room rising in conflict a little, right? It's so good. Paul, what do you, do you have anything for that? Well, I don't always do it right. So one. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that, I think I remind, for, this is just personal. This may not be the case for everybody. But, I, but what I have found is that self-control is a fruit of the spirit. Yeah. And so you may be like, I feel my blood pressure rising. That's what happens to me. I don't know about you, but my neck starts getting red. And I start feeling a tightness in my chest. It's happening right now. I know it. It it comes in your ears. Yeah, right. You see it. When your ears start getting red. He's experienced it. A lot of conflict. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But but but, but the thing is, there, there comes a point where you have to actually take control of yourself. Like you choose whether you're going to die to the things that you're feeling and the things that you're thinking. And you actually have control whether it comes out of your mouth. Yeah. Um, and so I think for me, it's been a practice of, and I, like I said, I don't get it right every day. You can ask my coworkers and my wife specifically. I don't always do it right. But, but the reality is, is I know that, you know, even in this series, we, we're learning these tools, right? So like we're equipping the saints, you get these tools, but you may have a hammer at home and decide to use, for some reason, a pair of scissors to nail a nail into the wall. Well, you have to decide that you're going to use the tool. And so I think for me, it's just a matter of you're going to get the feels because you're a human. But the fruit of the spirit of self-control can help you in those moments. I've just found that if you just actually choose to, to shut up is really a great option. Amen. <laughs> I receive that in Jesus' name. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, well, I think that that's good. And, you know, one thing Lauren, my wife, and I, we've talked a lot about is we learned the value of taking a break. And for that not to be weird, like in the middle of a conversation. And, like, Chris, you just said, like, sometimes that's three seconds and sometimes that's five minutes or, like, you know, just taking that moment. I, I think I also want to, once again, I want to get real practical, but. How do we approach when how do we approach conflict or maybe some hard conversations with our seniority? Like in in a job environment, like when like, man, my boss said something like this or something like in the middle of a meeting even. Like how do you address those things? I think before we get into that, I think somebody was gonna speak to that. But one thing even going back to the peacemaker thing is um, you asked that question close to the beginning, but 
being a peacemaker and for it to not be weird, that's what like triggered that for me is being a peacemaker is not just making peace when conflict comes. It's actually like before that. So it's like, hey, let's set the stage. Let's actually like set this relationship, this working relationship up for success. So whether that be with an Way authority figure. Way before conflict happens. Yeah, like let's talk about it before the conflict even arises. Like I think that's actually making peace before the conflict comes. Yeah. Because then it sets up for whenever it does come. Because it will. It will absolutely come. Yeah. You spend 40 plus hours a week, you know, with people it comes. Um, and so making peace before it actually even gets there, I think is something that maybe just needs to be highlighted in this. And that, yeah. that will help that awkward yeah. thing where it maybe doesn't exist now. I don't yeah. know if that makes sense. No, that's so good. Yeah, Chris, I, I was about to say, Chris, you, this is a large part of your story. Yeah, I mean, I would just add to that. I think that one of the things I know that I do um, at my own office is the people that work with me or for me or whatever is just absolutely welcome this is the safest place in the world to be critical of me <laughs> like if because it's not really it's like a project i've created or something i'm working on um i'm constantly looking for feedback because i'm not the smartest guy in the room um there's other people in the room and their collective brain so like i want to create a safe space for you to say that document you created looks stupid they're probably not going to say it like that but I want to create a safe place for that. So, but don't give them permission unless you're ready to receive it. Right? That's exactly right. If you don't want it, if you're going to blow up on them, don't do that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, like, I mean, I would say for seniority, because I think I've navigated this, I have to ask if I, if I when I'm going to speak to someone in a senior role over me, if there's fear present in me, I need to check that with the Lord. Yeah. Because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And in Christ, that can be humble. It can be contained. It can be yeah. respectful, very respectful. Yeah. But if fear is what's keeping me from having the conversation, um, it's okay to be afraid, but I, I don't want to let fear guide me. Yeah. I want to be able to speak honestly to my boss or whoever it is. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I'm going to act in faith in what God tells me about myself. Yeah. That's so good. Um, what about in the, what about in the context of maybe it's not a one-on-one, but you're in a public setting in the middle of a meeting and there's other people present and conflict rises. Like how does that work? And this is not necessarily even seniority or supervisee kind of thing. Like how did, how does that play out? You want to go there? Oh, yeah, yeah. You have a very specific story. Well, I here. mean, I really, have a really real recent, recent story, actually. Yeah. But um, no, it's it's interesting. I, I've met with several people over the last month, and it's it's interesting the times you meet with people and they say, "Bro, healthy conflict." It's like it's kicking my tail right now. You know, I never knew I had conflict until we until we started teaching about it. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's not different for any of us. Like we all have moments, we all have a job. Like I know that it's hard for you guys to believe, but this is our job. Like we work here and we live here and we love here and it's a beautiful place, but I work closely with Aaron. So we have a lot of healthy conflict and, um, and so, yeah, we had a meeting this week. It was interesting because I felt, I felt the, he said something, I didn't like it. So I felt like the blood pressure rising and and I forgot about self-control. And, uh, <laughs> and so then I said something. And then really, it's just the way we communicate with each other. We're kind of, we kind of sass each other. 
but um, we don't typically sass each other in front of everybody. And so it kind of probably was weird for everybody else. Awkward, you know? You guys need to repent right now. We already did. We already did. So, no, so, so like in that setting, you know, he, he says that, that I didn't like it. I kind of escalated a little bit and, and in a playful but not fully played, in a seriously playful way. <laughs> but, um, but, but, you know, in that, in that moment, I was like, oh, this is really something we should talk about together. And so um, we had this moment and... I think it made it definitely made some people in the space feel a little uncomfortable because they just never seen us in that setting. But we went back to my office and we talked through it, yeah. and uh, and we had a, a clear understanding and respect. A we apologized. Conversation. Yeah, yeah, we we cleared it up real quick. But um, but I think that I think it's important for you to realize that's it's not you're going to come into moments where you disagree, and you're going to come into moments where you're like I don't like the way this makes me feel. But um, but you. You, we do have an obligation to be the peacemakers in those moments. And what's beautiful is that when we wind up in my office together, we both become the peacemakers, you know. And so um, it was a beautiful moment, yeah. and, um, and I won't do it again, promise. Yeah. I think that's really good, though, like just even calling that out of like, hey, we had the 10-minute conversation. Like we've talked a lot about not avoiding conflict. That's the whole point of being right. a peacemaker. Right. If you had avoided that, mm-hmm. it could have built. You know, like it could have grown and then it's like, okay, I'm actually offended at this person now for this one slight comment that was made in a meeting or whatever it was. So I think that's something worth calling out too. It's like even the little things are important. I I think for me, it's like we address it soon, quick. Uh, We don't let it linger. I think something I would add to it too is Summer and I were talking about this last night about dealing with a potentially conflicting situation is just being more curious with people. You know, when you're at odds with someone, you can pretty much assume they're afraid of something, you're afraid of something. Yeah. There's something like if my daughter doesn't put the milk away, like she's like afraid of being controlled, like I'm growing up, and I'm afraid of like she doesn't put the milk away, therefore she disrespects her dad, therefore she's going to leave the church. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and the milk's going to sour. That's the most important thing. Yeah. <laughs> And she drinks like 20 gallons a week. So, but like, there's something they're afraid of. And if I'll get curious instead of critical, it can be, it can be a game changer. And I'm not always great at doing that, but man, it works better when I am. I I like what she said there in Lorna. Lorna and I have put language to that, like something we're each hitting each other fear, fear buttons in us. And it's making us like go to another place. Yeah. Um, just for the sake of time, um, I, I, I've got probably like 20 other questions. Um, yeah, I know, right? Perfect. So good. Um, I think like one thing that we wanted to do, and Paul, if I can ask you to do this, um, I think one thing we wanted to do is, is, to, is to commission the room almost and to just impart the spirit of peace in for our identity as peacemakers. Uh, and that's how we wanted to end our series. Um, Paul, would you, yeah. w- is, that, is that good? Yeah? Sounds great. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think first I want to thank everybody who was part of this series. You know, this is the last night of Healthy Conflict. So if you could just, let's show some appreciation for all the teachers from all the weeks. Pastor Josh for setting us up and calling to us to this. Um, and, uh, you know, so as we get ready to close, I, I, I think that one thing I want you to think about is like who you are, where you are. Um, 
You may not have thought of yourself as a peacemaker, but if you're a follower of Jesus, it's who you are. You may not always act like a peacemaker. I know that story, but it's who you are and you can start now. And so, um, and maybe you've never thought of yourself as like a kingdom representative, but like wherever you're at, like, so I just, if, if you currently are a business owner or a manager, a leader in your workplace, in the marketplace, I want you to stand up. So just take a second and st- go, you stay standing. Actually, don't take a second, take the rest of the time. And then if you're, if you're somebody who, who, uh, works outside of the church, if you work out in the marketplace, I want you to stand up. That means if you have a job, (laughs) okay. Now, if you're, if you're someone who works in your home, maybe you're, uh, maybe you're managing in your house, you're leading your family, you're teaching homeschool, whatever it is you're doing. If you're working in the home, I want you to stand up. And now if you're, uh, I guess if you work at this church, you can stand up too. I feel funny making pastor Josh stay set down. That was weird. Okay. Now if you're in school, if you're around people in general, if you shop at the coffee shops, if you, uh, go to the mall, if you have a heartbeat, if you're still sitting down, Stand up. Yeah. All right. Guys, listen. Like, we do these series because we want to we wanna offer you this opportunity of to see who you are, to learn how to function as a kingdom person. That's what, that's what it's about. It's equipping you to do the work of ministry. The work of ministry is more than standing on a stage preaching sermons. That's, not, that's just a piece of it. The reality is ministry is what you're doing. It's what you're saying. It's how you're living, what it looks like to people who don't know Jesus. That's who we are. You're kingdom people and you're peacemakers. So before we go, I just want to pray over you. God, I thank you for this room full of peacemakers. (laughs) It's a room full of peacemakers. Let your fruit, the fruit of your spirit, just grow orchards of the fruit of your spirit in every person in this space. That when they go into their homes, that they represent you in a place of peace. That they, when they go into the workplace, that they represent you and they make peace. They lay the groundwork for peace. They lay the groundwork for what you are there to do. I pray that when they go, go into their favorite coffee shop, they respond in peace. When they go into their favorite restaurant, that they respond in peace. That whenever they're dealing with a vendor in the business and that they do their job wrong, that we as people, Peacemakers, make peace. Uh, Go with them. Give them confidence in who they are. Help them see themselves the way that you see them. I pray that we would represent you well, that we as kingdom people would always approach conflict the way you approach it, that we look like you where we are. In Jesus' name, amen.